Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary, and I just want to drop in and tell you that I'm going on a pilgrimage this week with 45 of my parishioners. We're leaving from Door County in Wisconsin. We're going down to the St. Louis area, going to visit Our Lady of the Snow Shrine and then the Cathedral Basilica. And then we're going to come back up to Chicago and visit the Seven Sorrows Basilica, which has a shrine to St. Peregrine, the Cancer Saint. Then we're going to go to Mother Cabrini Shrine, which it's a jubilee year uh, for Mother Cabrini. And then we're going to go to the St. Jude Shrine, which is run by the Claritians. So I'm very excited to go on this pilgrimage. And I've interviewed two different people about two of the shrines in the past. This week, then, I'm going to replay those episodes. The first one about the Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville, Illinois. And the second one, a conversation that I had with a religious sister who worked at the Mother Cabrini Shrine in Chicago. I hope you enjoy revisiting these interviews as I visit these places with my parishioners. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We are now starting season five of How They Love Mary, and this season I want to do a specific focus, highlighting all the Marian shrines, maybe not all of them, but many of them in this podcast, speaking with the different rectors and directors of these shrines to talk a little bit about these places of pilgrimage. Today, August 5th, is the Feast of Our Lady of the Snows, also known as St. Mary Major. And you might know this, but there is a shrine to Our Lady of the Snows, a national shrine in Belleville, Illinois, run by the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. And today we speak with Father David Uribe about this Marian shrine. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Father David. Well, howdy, and thank you for having me. You know, the Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows is one that I remember from my childhood, not because I went there on a pilgrimage or a trip or anything like that, but every day I would go and get our mail from the family mailbox. I would watch for the mailman, and I'd run out to the mailbox, and I would get the mail. And every so often, of course, there would be a correspondence from the the National Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows promoting their novenas, promoting healing prayer. And it was just one of those things that, in my mind, it's one of those early remembrances of some sort of Marian devotion in my own life, just being aware of this shrine down there in Belleville. I had the opportunity a, a number of years ago now, maybe back in 2017, to visit the National Shrine and to pray there and to be a part of the prayer life there for uh, half a day. So uh, I'm very familiar with it in a little regard and happy to be speaking with you today. So maybe first, it's called the National Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows. Our Lady of the Snows is this feast on August 5th. I'm the pastor of a parish that bears that name, St. Mary of the Snows. But it's also August 5th is the Feast of St. Mary Major. So what is the story behind this uh, feast day of Our Lady of the Snows or St. Mary Major? Sure. 
Yeah, uh, one of the things that I was surprised to learn about in terms of this title, Our Lady of the Snows or uh, St. Mary of the Snows, is that it is the first title of Our Lady. This is a title that comes to us from the, uh, from the 4th century. And it goes back to a legend that was said, you know, this was after the time, you know, in the, in, in the year 320, I believe it was 325, that uh, Constantine, you know, the ruler of the uh, Roman Empire at that point, or in that, um, he decided as a businessman, you know, this persecution we've had against the, per- the Christians has been going on for centuries now, and we've not been able to deal with it. Can, the persecution started, you know, even after the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And so when it came to the 4th century in that year, 325, you know, he realized, you know, the Christians will never go away. This is a movement that's going on. So as a businessman, he says, why don't we make Christianity legal, and why don't we tax every Christian? And so every Christian was very welcoming of that because, you know, they didn't want to fear for their lives. Now they can come out from the underground. And in that movement to um, uh, for the legality of, of being Christian, what they did is they wanted to build these great churches. So in Rome, they wanted to go to those special places, the place where St. Peter was buried, where Paul was beheaded and crucified. And then the Lateran family decided to go ahead and donate uh, uh, land and time so that the churches can be built, these great churches. Well, they also made a decision to build a great church for Mary. Now, there wasn't a place like, you know, the, the burial place for St. Peter's or where St. Paul was uh, crucified, you know, they and the Lateran family. Had, there wasn't a place where Mary had been in Rome, and so they didn't know where to build this great church. So at the time, the successor Peter said, let's put in the prayer where we'll ask our Heavenly Mother to um, show us where we could build this great church. And um, so in the year, what legend says, in the year 358, uh, Mary appeared to this couple, this devout couple, uh, who were childless, and they said, in a dream, where there is snow, build my church there. And so this was on the night of, uh, early morning hours of August the 5th. And so when they said, uh, you know, he he woke up and he's like, well, that was that was interesting. It's you know the warmest time of the year, and he basically said, you know, uh, when we when we see a little snowfall in Rome, then that's where we'll know. Well, he began to hear chatter in the streets and say there was snowfall that fell on this little hill, the Esquiline Hill, and so that's where the legend comes from. When he and his wife rushed to see the snow, sure enough, there was snow on the ground, and so he said, in my dream. Mary told us that this is where the church is to be built. Well, at the same time, the successor of Peter, Liberius, uh, also had arrived there, and he also said, Our Heavenly Mother appeared to me in a dream, and she said, Where there is no, let there be, let the great church be built. And so they built that church there, and that was called the Church of St. Mary the Great. That was the original name. And then uh, a couple of centuries later, they, they made it a lot bigger, and of course they changed the name, and it's now known as St. Mary Major in Rome. So one of the four pontifical churches that we have in Rome, this one dedicated in the memory of Mary. So that's where we get the legend from Our Lady of the Snows, St. Mary's of the Snows. And if you go there into the church of St. Mary, on, in one of the pontifical chapels, you have a mosaic, and it has up there not only the name, I mean the image of Our Lady, 
but it's Santa Maria at Nieves, which is Our Lady the Snows. And that's where the legend comes from. So it's a very ancient devotion, a historical devotion then, uh, dating all the way back to the 4th century, as you mentioned. And now we fast forward many, many years, many centuries, and now there's a shrine to Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville, Illinois. Now, of course, it Mm -hmm. snows in Illinois, and maybe Mm -hmm. that's a good reason to have it. But how is it or why is it that this shrine, this national shrine to Our Lady of the Snows, takes root in the Belleville area? Sure. It all starts out with a devotion that this one missionary oblate priest had, uh, a German oblate, when um, he finished the seminary in Europe. He had great aspirations to go to the to the uh, missions down in Africa, but when he got his obedience letter, he was sent to the Canadian Arctic. And so when he got there, he didn't realize that he had to travel by, you know, uh, dog and sleigh. And during uh, his time in the war as a soldier, he was a pilot, a trained pilot. And so when he got to Canada and they said, well, this is your means of transportation, the dog uh, and sleigh. So it took him a month to get to the first mission. And he says, wow, it took me a month to get to here. And that's strange. So he spent a month there in that mission. And then he was going to go further north, the next mission. It took him another month, and so in his mind, he said, this is crazy, I'm a pilot, why don't I just ask for a plane to be uh, brought from Europe uh, so that I can do my mission through the air? And so that happened. He did get an airplane, and he began to open up all these missions that are all over on the Canadian Arctic um, and on the shores of, of, of the northern part of North America. And what, he had a great devotion to Our Lady of the Snows, and right so, because the Arctic was just filled with snow, one of his favorite missions, or one of the first missions that he, um, um, the, one of the first missions that he created was that he um, named it Our Lady of the Snows. Well, when World War II broke out, and because he was part of the German army in the First World War, there was a lot of suspicion about him. The Canadian authorities... Um, uh, expelled him from Canada, and the only place, you know, uh, the the places where he could go to was here in the United States, and so he picked the place where there was the largest number of oblates, and that was Belleville, Illinois. So he came here. The American authorities found out that he was here. They put him under house arrest at the seminary, and so the superior at the time says, "What do I what do I do with this guy?" And he says he put him in charge of the thank you letters campaigns for all the donors for the seminary. And, you know, he said, this is only so many ways that you can say thank you to people. So he says, can I write stories about my mission and my devotion to Our Lady of the Snows? Well, as he wrote more and more letters, more and more mail came back saying, please tell us more about Our Lady of the Snows. And the devotion took off here. The devotion took off here in in Belleville with more and more people wanting to um, know about Our Lady. And so this is where that devotion came about, and then all of a sudden you had a novena that started. You had another oblate priest, Father uh, Edwin Guild, who did have, was the mastermind behind the shrine. And the two of them really built that devotion and built up that novena to where, to where in the late 1950s, to 1958, that's when we had the property purchased and the great shrine was built. So it came out of this devotion from this one simple missionary uh, flying priest, as, as he was known, uh, in the Arctic, but uh, came to bring that uh, message and that legend of Our Lady of the Snows to the Belleville area, and it's expanded from there. 
Yeah, so the devotion begins with him, and that's kind of a unique way that a shrine begins, because sometimes it's always that there's a group of people who are devoted, but it's from him, and as he reaches out to others, then they're interested, and they want to be devoted too, and and that's how it came to be. That's a very uh, touching story of one individual's devotion to Mary and how it can influence so many and bring people together in prayer especially for the novena. And the novena to Our Lady of the Snows is, is very simple. It's simply the memorari, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, we wanted something that was a very common prayer, a very common prayer in which we uh, ask our Heavenly Mother to, you know, to pray for us, to, uh, to give our intentions so that she can hand over to her son and that her son listen to his mother on our behalf and in our intercession. Now, you belong to the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. This priest that founded the National Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows was an OMI. There were other very popular OMIs of the past century. The one was the Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal George. What is the mission and the charism of the Oblates of Mary Immaculate? Yes, um, we were founded in 1816 by a, uh, a diocesan priest in southern France, Aix-de-Provence. And we were started um, with that mission of really reaching out to the Church. You know, this is post-French Revolution uh, society where a lot of the poor were being neglected by the Church. Uh, a lot of the poor. There were no more catechesis programs. There were no more uh, youth formation programs or youth um, uh, um, uh, groups to go out. There was nobody really going to the jail. There was nobody really doing missions in order to teach those who were low. So out of this um, this need to reach out to the poor, especially those who were hungering for the Word of God and for the sacraments, that our founder decided that he would do that against the wishes of the you know the high society church, the church that was there. Um, you know, most of the bishops at that time did not want our ma the masses and the word, uh, the evangelization to be done other than in high French. And so he spoke a dialect, a poor, a poor men's dialect there, uh, which was uh, Provence. And so when he began to say, no, these people need to hear our own, um, the word in their own word, he began to preach to them in their dialect. And so it wasn't very popular. But uh, the reception that he he had from the people, from the poor, was very, very large and very... So he was able to do a lot of things. And so that is the charism of the, of the missionary oblates, is that we go to the poor, we go to those places that have been neglected or marginalized, the people who are hungry, and we, uh, you know, we bring that word and sacrament to them. Part of that uh, mission is that, you know, that we'll go to any of the poor places, one of the distinctions that we received from Pope Leo XIII in the late uh, 19th century is that we were known as uh, missionaries and specialists to difficult missions. We went to places nobody else wanted to go in for the sake of uh, starting the Church, creating the Church. So that's why we went down to Africa. That's why we went to the Canadian Arctic. Uh, and still till today, there are a number of oblates in the Arctic area. Many of them are bishops. Many of them have established churches, and so uh, we go to where the poor are, and that's our charism. Uh, coming here to the Belleville area, we came here because this was the Midwest. It was considered rural part 
uh, back in the day, back in the 1920s when we landed here, and we began to help the local church here establish churches, uh, retreat centers, all those things in order for people to have that uh, evangelization and have access to the, to the sacraments, and which we still do today. And Belleville, which is right outside of St. Louis, there is some poverty there. There is East St. Louis, and that's a very uh, impoverished area. So so it seems that the Oblates of Mary Immaculate with this national shrine and everything in Belleville are right there fulfilling the mission, uh, especially in that certain uh, area today. Yeah. Now, when people come to the National Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows, what can they expect to find there when they enter the shrine property? Well, I can remember it was, you know, um, I think in 2008 was my first time that I've ever been to the shrine. And I remember coming off of right of Highway 15. There's an intersection there. You come into the shrine and automatically just amazed about the size of the property. Um, we are the largest outdoor Marian shrine in North America. And so we have a property, we have probably about uh, 70 to 80 acres that are uh, part of the shrine as we know it today. And um, it's just a large amount, very beautiful, uh, lots of space to walk, lots of space to come and meditate be part of the outdoor devotional sites that we have, uh, the Stations of the Cross. We have a, uh, a Lord's Grotto. Uh, we have a, an amphitheater church, which is an outdoor church built the specifications to a church. And so we, you know, a lot of people have known that image of the amphitheater church as the National Shrine. And then we have other um, uh, devotional sites that are here, Guadalupe, Our Lady Guadalupe, Tepeyac, and then, uh, uh, of course, we had uh, a guest house, which is formerly the Shrine Hotel. And then we have a visitor and conference center. And so we can have host large groups uh, here at the Shrine as well. Unfortunately, during this COVID time, we don't have a restaurant. It wasn't feasible to have that up and running. And so we're going to wait till this COVID situation um, ends, this pandemic, so that we can look at our options for having a restaurant that's always been part of the shrine um, uh, presence here. And so it's just, uh, a lot of people have always talked about how beautiful the grounds are, where people encounter God, especially through the peaceful walks, through the beautiful landscape, but then as well as the devotions that help us keep focus on our prayer and our connection to God. So that's what you'll expect when you come to the Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows. One of the things that always impresses me about shrines, and, and I'm a devotee of shrines, I like going to them, is that when you go to one, oftentimes you can tell there are local people that maybe come there almost every day, that they're very pious, they are a part of the shrine community, and they really love it. And then you get the people from the outside that come, who are uh, who come there maybe for the specific purpose of seeing the shrine. Then you have the other visitor who is coming because maybe they saw the sign on the road, and they're like, oh, I just want to stop there. I want to check this out. Maybe they're nominally Catholic, and so it's another place uh, uh, in which they encounter God's grace. And uh, I guess maybe where I'm going with this is why why should someone visit the shrine of Our Lady of the Snows? Yes. We have always said that the shrine is welcome to all people. We have, we have regular pilgrims. 
you know, who live in the local area. They love what we do, especially with our liturgies and our masses and our programming. We have people who are, uh, you know, um, donors. They're benefactors. They visit on a either quarterly basis or an annual basis, and we welcome them too. And yes, as you mentioned, we have highway signs all around this area that will uh, direct people here. And we've had people who come, you know, that I just uh, run into on the property and say, hey, you know, where are you from? And, oh, Father, we're from New York or we're from Montana, we're from Texas. And we've always passed through this area. We've always seen the signs. And this is the time that we finally said, hey, let's stop. Let's spend some time there at the shrine. And this is such a beautiful place. And so... You know, people find us just because of those road signs, but as well as it is a welcome mat to them. Then we have other people who are in crisis, either, uh, you know, in a relationship crisis or they're mourning of a recent death of a loved one or whatnot, and we will receive them. And so they'll come here and they say, people have always told me this is a place of peace. This is a place where I can find God. This is a place where I can always pray. And so we will help them as well. And so sometimes it's out of a crisis that we have people who come here uh, to the shrine. So we welcome everyone, uh, Catholic, non-Catholic. I had a uh, request from a person about two years ago. She said, Father, you know, I I have um, uh, a relative of mine who always came to the Lord's Grotto here at the shrine. Now, they love the space. They always found that presence of God there. She wasn't Catholic. She wasn't really religious. But can we have a memorial service? Because this person, um, you know, there was a, a, the death of this person, uh, unexpected death. Can we do a memorial service just amongst the family and friends here at, this gr- at the grotto and just in memory of her? And I said, if she found peace and solace here, if she had her encounter here with God, then please do the program, and please, um, you know, if the family wants to, uh, you know, uh, do whatever they can to to remember her and to cherish her, then please do it. This place is um, open to that. And they were very appreciative of the fact. They said, even a Catholic, you know, grotto like this, we can do stuff. And I said, we want you to encounter Christ. Shrines are built so that people can be renewed and have that encounter with God. Now, we're always hoping as missionaries, you know, as missionary oblates, we are missionaries. We're hoping for people to have that connection to God somehow, some way, so that it can be built onto something more formal. If they come into the church formally as a catechumen or, uh, you know, those that seek in the sacraments, then we want that first encounter. So we as missionaries, our job is to bring people to God and have that connection with God so that they can continue to do that in their lives. And so this is why we say that the shrine is a place of renewal, but it's also a place for all people. And if someone is looking at going to the National Shrine of Our Lady of Snows, when would be a good time for them to visit? We are open 365 days a, a, a year. You know, we are uh, we have people who love to come during the summertime when everything is green, everything's manicured. We have flowers. You know, we have it's it's a peaceful time, but it's also a time of heat. Um, so we we have people who come here. Father, I'd love to come here in the summertime because my parents brought us here when we were children. We used to run up the hill at the amphitheater all the time. 
But then we have other people say, Father, we've always been here for the Way of Lights. The Way of Lights is a program that we have from the Friday before Thanksgiving all the way to December 31st or January 1st. And we put up over a million and a half lights up in the, on the property, on our trees, so that we can continue to tell that story of the light, the light of the world, Jesus. And so we have people who say, we come here every winter. The shrine is not the same if, it does, if it's not cold, if there's no snow there, or there's no lights. You know, so whatever people's preference are, we're here and we're open the best time is, you know, when we have programming, you know, the, again, during this COVID, this pandemic time, we were, we're very limited about what we can do. But hopefully, and we pray that and into this uh, pandemic happens very quickly so that we can go ahead and continue to offer that uh, those programming needs that people have grown accustomed to over the years. But it's, uh, we have things going on all the time. And people can go to our website to find out, you know, where, you know, our address is or more information. That website address is snows.org, S-N-O-W-S dot O-R-G. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much, Father David, for sharing about uh, this devotion that took root in Belleville, this historical devotion, which is a legend from Rome about snow falling and the building of St. Mary Major uh, with all of the listeners today. So I thank you so much for your time. Oh, wonderful. I, I, you know, I certainly want to extend our blessings and a welcome mat to anybody and everybody. And more importantly, we're appreciative for you and your uh, podcast and your efforts as well as to teach more about our, la- our lady, especially our faith. Yes, well, thank you so much. And today you have been listening to How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review, rate it on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.